Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? In this episode, which is our student athlete informational, we've gathered sound bites from our first season of Triple Threat Podcast. In our efforts to continue to bring you quality information, we've made a collage of important information from 10 of our guests. Those topics will include a collegiate coach, topics from a community organizer, everybody needs an important role model, um, nutritionist food, and nutrition is very important for athletes, we also touch base on asthma and the complications with sports, law enforcement, locally, nationally. Sex life was very important to teenage athletes, kids. NCAA rules and regulations, which, which every student athlete would need. And then sports agency, information about uh, information to coll collegiate athletes once they get past their senior year in college. So wealth of information that we have here to present to families and student athletes. Hope you enjoy it. Let's get into the interview. In our first episode, I wanted to bring it home, uh, something that's Thai, Thai in the low country. And uh, Earl Grant, um, being a player from uh, Stahl, being a, a local high school student and then turned to a collegiate athlete, had major, major gains um, and success coming from this area. Um, he had a 58% a winning <clears throat> percentage at the college. Um, and now he's at Boston College um, coaching and, and teaching those young men, those young men great things out there. Uh, but to see a low country guy perform at that level, um, I think is very, very important. Um, this episode really proves how important the grind is, how important staying after what you want, working hard, um, and then enjoying the fruits of your labor. So I call this episode um, just being ready when opportunity comes. All those attributes, you got, you know, time, um, truth, conviction, um, toughness, all things you learn. And now we're here at, at the College of Charleston. How do you how do you feel all those things you learn in the application um, with your coaching now? What are the results from all the things you implemented into your team? And how do you how do you think? Uh, those things has turned out into things you've learned teaching your players, staff, and so forth. 
Well, I mean, I think that it's, it's, a, it's a blueprint. It's a blueprint, you know, with the conglomerate of all of what we just talked about, the time, the commitment, uh, you know, all that stuff like that. I mean, it's a, all of that together. I think it's a blueprint for success. It's a blueprint for success. Now, we still got work to do uh, here. I think we've made some progress in, in the time over the last four or five years. We've made some progress. But I think we still got work to do. There's still some things that hadn't been accomplished that we're still striving for. Uh, they kind of wake us up every day and get us excited. But but I think out of all those experiences, you're talking about 15 years of assistant coach uh, before coming here, all those experiences I draw on here. Like I know for sure that that you gotta you gotta you're gonna be held responsible for your actions. So going to class, treating people right, being on time, you know, giving good effort, you're gonna be held accountable. I also know that I don't really enjoy coaching certain types of kids. It's hmm, interesting. Like if you don't, if you if you don't love being in the gym, and I work hard, it makes my work harder. And you don't work hard, me and you have problems. Like right. I don't really, I don't enjoy you as much. You know now. Right. There's a certain type of kid I like to coach. I know that, and it's interesting because with my sons, I told my wife, I said I wanted my sons would be somebody I like to coach. They got to get tougher right now, <laughs> you know. So, and I'm looking at them like you got to get tougher, man. So, so I think that. Uh, but I also realized, uh, Jamel, that what I through basketball, the life lessons that you learn, like anything possible from the college of Charleston, man. Uh, basketball is a, a vehicle to get you to where you're trying to go, and while you in that vehicle, moving towards where you're trying to go, maybe leave some footprints in the sand you know, doing some special things, whether it be getting to the tournament or big time wins that you have, like or relationships that you develop in the city on campus with your teammates or just people around this area. But like those guys have done well. You know, we got uh, Dick Harris is in law school. Evan Belly's in medical school. Jarrell wow. with the Utah Jazz. Joe Chile with the Charlotte Hornets. Wow. Am Johnson with the San Antonio Spurs. You know, Marquis Pointer got his uh, photography company here doing wedding plannings and different things he's doing. Um, you know, Grant Rilla is on the verge of being drafted. Here's the trick, though. All them kids I just mentioned, they got a degree. That's so right. You got something to stand on. So, you know, we try to play basketball, but we try to become a better man, and we try to position ourselves uh, to have a bright future, uh, you know, by getting an education and, and, and building relationships that'll help you 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now. In this episode with Dallas Wilson, um, I kind of I kind of called him the reason. Um, the reason why Day Foundation and Jamel President existed. He broke the mold when it comes to teaching student athletes from this area how to get to uh, from high school to the college arena. And I didn't want to not bring importance of the community organization, how important community involvement is to families and student athletes when they lack the information that they need. Um, talking about sacrifices, um, the things that you know he did for a whole community where he could have just been selfish and did for his own family. So we appreciate um, the knowledge and understanding and the patience 
um, that you gave us in helping us succeed our goals. Going back into your, 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 your vision, um, can you explain the purpose of your vision? Like, why was your vision implemented um, so heavily and so effectively? Because was that what was that purpose behind everything? Well, you know, again, growing up in the streets, you, you build a tenacity, man, as a canary being tenacious in whatever it is that you're looking at. A lot of times people throw roadblocks. Roadblocks are just opportunities. They're not really things that like obstacles that should stop you from doing what caused me to do that is, once again, I said this as, as calmly as I could. Um, what God did for me is allow me to escape um, the idea of being dead at 21, being uh, destroyed, you know, not allowing myself to reach my full potential. Um, getting away allowed me to take what it was that I learned and grow as I was teaching others and to gather all of the information necessary for me to reach the potential that the Lord had designed for me. And one of the things that we wanted to do was be a conduit, not to be the person that had all of the answers. I'm not the sole repository of knowledge, but I wanted to be a conduit. I wanted to, to have what I've learned from my, my experiences athletically and academically to be transferred to people's hearts that needed those same experiences. And the first thing that we had to do when we got here was to build trust in this community so that people could get an understanding that we were not here to ravish this community. We were not here to, to do things in this community that, um, that negative people would do, but to do them in such a way that people would recognize it, that we had a, a plan and we had a legitimate plan to see people become successful. Um, so the first thing I think that we did was very simply move to the east side. You know, it was, it was a simple thing. And so in, in 1980, I think it was 84, 85, we started our, our trek to move here, to move downtown, to be in a place where people could watch us walk in and out of a door every single day. We could talk to people and put our arms around them. We didn't try to tell them anything, just to let them know when they asked that we were starting a church and the church was going to do this and and these are the effective uh, changes that we were going to try to make in our area. And um, those things happened. They were very, very important. And, and let me give you again a thought. Success to us is finding the will of God for your life. That's success. Um, I see you as being, and I want to come back to our topic. I see you as being successful. And I see you as being successful because you had uh, the ability to listen the ability to hear, and the ability to trust. You know, when we said something, you, you listened to. You didn't say, well, Brother Dallas, I don't want to do that. Not one time. I can say to this audience that listens to you every day, not one time did you ever say anything back to me that was negative. Not one time. And, and you stayed around me very close. You listened very carefully. Uh, you always had the ball game. The ball game, we couldn't give you that. We couldn't do anything with that. But we could put that ball game in a different sphere of influence. And that was very, very important. And we had to do that academically. I wanted to say that before we, because it's important. In this episode with Ben Betts, um, modeling. Modeling is very important. Um, and I think every kid's need an icon uh, or some someone 
to observe on how to get things done. Uh, Coach Betts was that model and icon for me on a collegiate level. We talked, we bonded, um, and the things we talk about and things that he helped me to figure out made me more confident in my adversaries and different approaches, thing that was going on in school. Um, I had someone to talk to, um, have someone to lean on. So uh, having a role model, have someone that can that you can talk to, um, bunks back ideas off of is very important. So we thank you, uh, Coach Betts, for being that wealth of knowledge and being that model uh, for young black student athletes. You know, I know that, you know, it said, you know, in your uh, bio that you y'all played in the Division Three, um, you know, playoffs, you know, back in Roanoke. Um, you know, talk about that because, you know, uh, they, I don't think you played professionally. I played after school. What no, triggered what triggered the movement into into coaching? Uh, being having a uh, you know mastered in, in in physical education, right? What yep. triggered into coaching? Did you did you always want to be a coach? Did you I mean because as I taught different coaches, it seemed like you know things trigger that versus this right. is what I wanted to be. This is what I wanted to go. What what was the trigger? Yep, you know my. Probably when I went to college, my whole plan was to get a teacher's degree. I, I did my undergrad in physical education. So my plan was my mom was a school teacher, school teacher for years, taught so many kids in the neighborhood. And man, so, but yet, you know, so early on through my stages of, you know, getting into high school and going to college, the education side was extremely important. Uh, it was installed in me earlier, but my plan was to go get a job, teach high school, and probably get into high school coaching. So my senior year, uh, a really close friend of mine who I'm close with now, his name is Adam Pryor. He really got involved in the coaching side through, at the time, really the main way that you got into coaching was through a graduate assistantship. Sure. That was the avenue. It didn't have director of basketball operations, didn't have player development. Mm. So that graduate assistantship was the way you got involved. And uh, so, you know, he, he started off and that kind of really, man, triggered my mindset of, man, that's something I really want to do or want to try to, you know, get involved with. But also, you know, the academics was important enough to me too once I got a feel about the graduate assistantship, I knew that was an avenue for me to continue my education and get a graduate degree. Mm -hmm. And, but yet still the whole concept of getting into coaching. I know he had went to Millersville University and he went to University of Maryland for a few years. I went up there and worked a camp with Gary Williams. He was the head coach. My buddy Adam was there on staff and got a chance to see it from a whole new level. Right. Uh, and you're talking about an ACC school and how it kind of operates, but, but got a chance to work camp. And so that kind of even piqued my interest more. So, uh, man, my, my senior year, my college coach, his name is Paige Moyer. I had two college coaches, Paige Moyer and Ed Green. Coach Moyer was close with, uh, he, had, he had worked at another school with someone who was an assistant at South Carolina State. That's South Carolina State had a graduate assistant position open. Coach Sal Alexander, who was the first coach I worked for, and that's how I got into the, the coaching mm -hmm. for the graduate assistantship.
In today's time of message, we got Chucky Robinson. You have to have a balance of uh, playing basketball um, and in the books. And like you said before, I didn't, um, I didn't um, make my scores, so I had a decision to make. Um, I had to either go to prep school, like you said, I think it was Main Institute, Institute, or I can go to a junior college. Mm -hmm. And um, I chose the junior college because at that time we wasn't financially equipped to pay for uh, tuition going to main institute where I came from. So I said the best route for me so I can uh, put my family at ease is getting a scholarship. And I got a scholarship at uh, Howard Junior College and uh, it uh, turned my life around, uh, especially uh, my mom and my family then wouldn't have a burden of of uh, having to pay out of pocket. So I took that in consideration to, um, to take that scholarship. I also had some other scholarships to play junior college ball, but for me, I wanted to get away from home and get in a different environment so I can focus on myself, get to know who I am at the time. Cause I was young, everybody go through a lot of spurs. So I want to just know who I am, being away from home, being away from my environment that I grew up in and and get to figure out things on my own. I didn't want to lean on anybody else. Now let's get back to the interview. In this episode with Janet Carter, um, we met a long time ago doing some day foundation, doing some programs with MUSC. Um, it's called the Options Program. I always admired the way she delivered her information um, when she had speaking engagements or whenever she was talking to a group of people. So um, I always kept her um, involved in whatever we do when it comes to delivering nutritional information. It's very important that athletes adhere to the information um, when it comes to nutrition. Your body your muscles, your mind, everything goes off nutrition. And it's just, just like a car. A car cannot move without gas. There's 93, 87, what have you, 89, what have you. You gotta have good, good gas in your car and you gotta have good fuel in your body in order to perform. Saturated fat is mostly from animal sources of food. So if we're thinking about um, high-fat dairy, high-fat meats like ground beef, mm -hmm. um, cheese, things like that. Now, that doesn't mean they have to be avoided because obviously there's there's some nutritional value from those foods. But we have to be uh, aware that it's it's better to choose healthier versions of animal sources because that is a big source of protein for most people is animal foods, right? So, um, and again, just going back to the the protein thing, it is important to meet your base needs of protein. You don't want to be deficient in protein. So we do need to have some, right? So, um, so it, it's important to choose those healthier options like chicken breast more often than like fried chicken or like a hamburger or like steak, you know what I mean? So, um, or, a. Um, well, well, just just for Clarence, you said chicken breast, uh -huh. but then you said not fried chicken. Is it cool uh -huh. to eat fried chicken breast? <laughs> Good question. So not really. So honestly, anything that is deep fried 
and I'm not talking about like pan seared on the top of the stove. I'm talking like deep fried. Um, anything that is deep fried is pretty much at the top of the list of unhealthy foods, even if it started out healthy. Like if it's say like a fried vegetable, for instance, like fried right. okra, right. that is really, really healthy by itself, like steamed or sauteed. But then when you deep fry it, it turns it into mm. a pretty unhealthy food. So, so that's a good question because you're right. I think a lot of times when people are, you know, say they're out and about and they have to grab some food, you know, their mind, if they're trying to do healthier options goes to chicken, but right. then oftentimes that's, there's just fried chicken options at a lot of these fast food restaurants. And so, um, maybe not realizing that that's not as healthy of a choice as, you know, if there is a grilled chicken option or if there's some other type of choice that's available. Yeah. I know it's, it's tough sometimes when we eat out <laughs> to right. find things that are decent. So if I had unlimited resources, um, <clears throat> it would be wonderful to have a, a, a program that would be in the community that would be easily accessible to students and, and student athletes and really any, any kid um, to gain the knowledge that they would need for, you know, wellness, but mm -hmm. also to provide not just not just information, like not just standing in front of them and teaching them, but providing them with the tools like exactly. cooking skills or okay. um, taking them to a grocery store and shopping around with them or actually giving them healthy food. I feel like, you know, the Charleston and greater Charleston area in, in a lot of South Carolina is very much, you know, poverty stricken. And it's very difficult for families to to eat healthy because of that in these food deserts that are around. And so I would really want to incorporate um, healthy food, actual healthy food being given to people with the education piece. That, that mm. would be something that would be a dream come true. And I know there are some, some programs that, you know, do their best along those lines, but unfortunately there's just, it's hard to implement those types of things because of funding issues and, for sure. and other, you know, barriers. In my episode with coach Bobby Crimmins, I wanted to touch base on the transition and the evolution of the game from when he played until now. Being a great coach and a great motivator that he was, um, he was also coach of the year in 1990 and also had a great stint in Georgia Tech, uh, Appalachian State, and then ended at the College of Charleston. But having that wealth of knowledge and going through those times where there wasn't AAU programs, there wasn't a lot of information as far as nutrition and um, agencies and um, the whole nine of information that's out there for athletes now, um, that, wasn't, that wasn't in their time. He, doesn't, he didn't have that information. So we want to talk about the evolution and the transition of the sport and how it is, is effective now. So I appreciate Coach for coming on and giving us that information that, that can help us um, proceed. I see you played one year um, after your collegiate career and then you started you know, coaching. What, what was that time experience? Like when you played, did you realize this wasn't for you or did you have a bad experience? What got you into coaching after you spent that year of professionally playing? Well, my number one goal was to play professionally. Like all and, of us, right? 
Yeah, that was my number one goal. I didn't want to coach. And uh, at the time I came out, the ABA was in existence. And I was going to try out for the Atlanta Hawks. I had a trial with the Hawks. But then the ABA came into existence. And um, there was a friend who, um, uh, the general manager of the Hawks, um, he knew about me. And then he became the general manager of the Pittsburgh Condors. Mm. So he, sent, he said, you, you're now going to try out for the Condors in the ABA. And then when I, I, I had a chance to make the team, uh, the, the, the rookie of the year that year for the, um, for the Condors was Mike Malloy from Davidson. Um, but then the Carolina Cougars had been in existence two years out of, um, they were out of Charlotte, Raleigh, and, and um, Raleigh, Charlotte, and I guess um, uh, Durham. Mm-hmm. And they wanted ACC players to play for them in that franchise. So I got shifted over to the Carolina Cougars. And um, I was the last guy cut from the Cougars. Mm. And then I got bounced around. And then I, I had some more to go overseas. And um, I got a phone call from a, a coach in Pittsburgh who had met me at a Davidson basketball camp. Mm-hmm. And he was the head coach of an NAIA school. And he wanted the young coach um, to coach the freshman team. And he just thought about me. Right. He, he loved the way I played. And he called me up. And it was perfect timing because I was all over the place. I was in right. South America. I was here. I was there. And I could have stayed with it. I would have wound up overseas. Um, I, I, I probably would have gotten there to try out for the ABA or the NBA. But I knew my time was running out. And I was a little tired of everything. Right. You know, they say, once you get into the NBA, become a piece of meat. And uh, a lot of that is true. Right. And so the time, and so when this coach asked me, I said, I'll do it. And I drove up, I drove from Columbia to Pittsburgh, and I coached a freshman team at Point Park College in Pittsburgh. And then Coach McGuire called me. Mm. And Coach said, look, you like coaching? I said, yes, I do. He said, well, come on back and work for me. So I went back to Columbia and started working for Coach McGuire. In our episode with uh, Dr. Michael Bowman, um, we look at the, as athletes and people, we always look at the outer body, the physical instruments that uh, a player or student may have. But we also know that the most important part of our body is our mental and our you know, inner, inner focus, things that make our, our body work. And um, one of the disease that's really targeting the student athletes is asthma. Asthma can be very, very, very detrimental if you're not well informed of, of your disease. And in our conversation, we focus on the how, the why, the when, and ways to prevent and treat asthma. So again, it's very important information that if you have this disease, what to do, um, how to treat it, what are the resources available to you? And considering COVID, you know, and I don't know a whole about the complications. I know what's, you know, in your chest area, uh, what have you, but let's add that on top of uh, asthma, right? And I know, I don't know how well you deal with athletes, but let's take athletes out the picture right now and talk about COVID and asthma, um, 
what were some issues you, you've seen, you know, this past year and what are some resources that, you know, families or uh, people that suffer from asthma can, can go to right now? When people die of COVID, they either die of uh, pneumonia or total body circulatory failure. Uh, but lung disease is a major part of that. And one of the, uh, they always talk about pre-existing comorbidities or conditions that make the outcomes worse. And lung disease is usually one of those. But surprisingly, asthma has not been nearly as, as high on that list as COPD or emphysema. And in uh, um, some areas, cigarette smoking is viewed as a major um, uh, bad outcome predictor. Um, so why, what I uh, have told people, and I've, I've written some stuff for pediatricians around the state to help them dealing with their families uh, where asthma is in the, in the children. Um, the most important thing is to keep your asthma under control. Uh, because if it is uh, under control, then uh, you're less likely to need prednisone. You're less likely to have major lung symptoms if you do catch COVID. Um, there's now some, some feeling uh, that asthma medicines, the inhaled steroid medicines that people take if they have moderately severe asthma, that may actually be protective because it turns out that apparently those medicines will um, kind of turn down the um, uh, places on cells where the COVID virus attaches. So actually, uh, it may be that using um, some asthma medicines may help people when they're first infected. Um, but you're very definitely right that lung disease is a major problem and a risk. So one thing that families know when they have asthma, they know signs of respiratory distress. Kids know I'm, this is, something's wrong. I'm having a flare up. And so um, they may be able to tell their parents sooner that they've, they've got something bad going on uh, compared to other kids who don't have any experience with lung problems. In this time of session, we have Melvin Watson. I saw something totally different, like a game changer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I ain't never seen anything like this before. And this guy can move like a guard. He was just quick. And so now you start second guess if you made the right decision coming up here. Mm. But being a competitor that we are and coming from our background, playing on from part to part, our community teaches us, sure. hey, man, we ain't scared of nobody. Right, right. So we lace up. We're going to do what we're going to do. And, you know, history took his course I mean at that time I got adjusted I started playing better they made me up my game and like you said it it was a different type of talent made you play different made you a smarter ball player right as good as we were we still had to work on our IQ because we still didn't know how to really play the game yet I agree so I agree I think a lot of kids don't understand that part of it yeah you can go out on the park and play one-on-one and just play but when I put you in the system and you have to think and you have to read and all that stuff comes in play a lot of kids struggle right so 
Right. For me, that's where my growth came at going to prep school. Now let's get back to the interview. In that conversation with uh, Deputy Eric Watson, as stated in, my, in our conversation, we have to grow and develop and create these safe spaces in our hearts and minds. Um, coming from city of Charleston locally, of course, is a national, um, a worldly uh, situation that we all have to encounter and we all have to deal with. Um, we focused on the conversation we really have is the perception that we had, it's the perception of law enforcement and how we react to them. Um, it is, it's very important to address those things that you don't know and, and you don't understand. So I wanted to take that time and give uh, Deputy Watson a, a, a voice and a chance to explain what they're thinking, what things they're going through, um, so we can better understand those approaches and, and how to deal with things when we encounter them. So I think that's very important, law enforcement rules and regulations, um, not just for student athletes, but uh, people in general. What do you say your, the overall um, involvement uh, community-wise of law enforcement, like what's the, what's the connection? And I want the community to understand because I know it's, it's protect and serve, but you personally, what's your overall commitment to the community? My overall commitment to, to the community is bring awareness and bring awareness to a system that obviously is not perfect, broken. But in order for you to have an immediate impact on your community, you have to be, you have to be willing to be a part of the system. Yes, sir. Understand how it works. Uh, things that you, you can identify that need to be fixed, fix it. You have to criticize when you stand on the wing, but when it's time to perform on the stage, you can't perform. Sure. So my, my point here is that Instead of criticizing or at being in my, my position where I'm criticized on a daily basis by my own folks that work for me. The community criticized me when I was uh, chief deputy with the sheriff's office uh, because of things that are not happening right in their life. But if you really want to have an impact, if you really want to change happening in your community, uh, educate yourself about government. Yes. Yeah. How it works. And also hold your elected officials accountable mm -hmm. for not leading. Um, you know, they, they you elect them in office. Oh, you you are they you are their boss. So hold them accountable. Um, so that's that's my goal. Mel is is to have a, a immediate impact, a meaningful impact on our community. Only way I can do that is voting it, uh, voting what we do in public safety, um, through education allow our kids, our youths, uh, I think that's where it starts at, our youths, uh, to enter into a system. Now they can, they, they can branch off. Uh, it's doing other things with, with the government. You're in law enforcement. Enforcement. What are some conversations you dealing with your past and understanding how you felt, and now you don't feel that way because you're in law enforcement and you got a you know, black son. What are some conversations that you have for him, with him, and how do how do you paint that picture to him? I mean, 
Right. What do you What do you say? You know, we we uh, Eric and I do. Eric and I do have many conversations about about that. And, and what I what I reassure my son is that the vast majority of the officers out there are are they're human beings just like just like, like he is. They make mistakes. Um, with, with that said, you still have that small that, that small percentage uh, that will cross that line. That is that is a fact. That is a reality. Uh, that is why you have, that is why you have as many issues now within our country uh, because you have a small fragment within any organization mm-hmm. um, that will cross a line that will violate policies and that will take advantage of kids like uh, like like our son and, and I remind my son hey look you are, you are a black boy okay you understand that first uh, society look at you differently um, when you're dealing when, when you're in a so don't, so don't place yourself in a position where you have to be questioned or stopped. Uh, for example, loud music. Right. Oh, so he, he bought my car uh, and he loved playing his loud music. Uh, and I said, hey, don't bring, don't draw attention to yourself mm. uh, for, for the cops or the police officers to stop you for a reason. The next thing you know, uh, they want to uh, actually, can I search your car? Right. So, so those, those kind of things I talk to them about, and at the same time, too, uh, respect the police. In our conversation with Natasha Zessa, we talk about sex and the prevention of sex when it comes to student athletes in our youth. Uh, Ten years ago, this would have been a no-no to society. But as we all know, social media has made it a hot topic. The discussion with our youth. In our conversation, um, she stressed the importance of prevention versus treatment and why it's beneficial to have this conversation early with your kids. Um, I know it's maybe a little uncomfortable. You don't know how to start a conversation, but I guess, you know, forcing that issue, forcing that conversation will help, um, help your kid be more um, comfortable of bringing things to you. And I think if they're more comfortable talking to their parents about sex, then they won't be bringing it to their peers and getting the wrong information, getting misinformed. So um, we want to bring that information, bring this wealth of knowledge to you and how they approach your kids about sex. So that script are sort of imprinted in your mind. You know how to behave in a certain way. Okay, so now when a child starts watching pornography and the average age for a child to be exposed to pornography is eight, all right? When he's exposed to these horrible things of pornography at such a young age, what is his script saying to him? How, what is sex? So we want to have successful marriages or relationships in the future, but the understanding of sex are script by an environment of pornography and lust. And then we expect them to have a healthy relationship. I'm not sure if that's possible. I don't think it is possible. And that is why we need to be truthful and give them a reason. Not just for, uh, you know, everybody's doing it. Oh, it's awkward, don't talk about it. We are actually exposing our kids to such dangerous things. We need to actively 
be aware of what they are busy with and make sure we protect them from these dangers. It's really dangerous for our young kids if they get exposed to pornography. So I find when I talk to teenagers, they don't even know what they want. They don't even know why they should not get pregnant or not have sex. Why, why shouldn't they? If everybody is doing it. So if we don't give them a reason for, uh, for, what, for their choices, okay, for not just saying no, uh, they're going to do it anyway because we don't know what we're talking about. So it's really important to find a why, a reason. Because what are, uh, what, what's powerful with kids with, uh, that's doing sport, what did they give up to be so successful? That guy that you just explained, uh, 20,000 followers, what did that guy give up to be so successful? Can you explain what are healthy sex choices and how can I help my child make them? Okay. So, um, so healthy sex choices is, uh, it always starts uh, with two things. When I'm going, uh, when I start with my children, when I talk to them about sex, I, my first conversation is to define love, to understand the difference between love and lust. They don't understand that they are not going they're going to mistake lust for love okay and that's which uh, teenagers get um uh distracted uh, that's 13 years old those those lusts is real heavy natasha i'll tell you at 13 <laughs> those things are just jumping but continue yes i know i work with all these teenagers <laughs> so and that's hard so if we if they don't understand how to love themselves they will not be able to make healthy decisions when they need to love somebody else. So we need to define love. So how I define love is when you are what, um, a healthy person that loves himself will protect himself from anything that hinders himself to grow to full maturity and reach his full potential in life when it comes to love, um, relationships, um, the bodies, um, uh, the beliefs, the values, and this... Uh, um, spiritual beliefs sorry so in those three areas they need to protect themselves to make sure that they can grow to full maturity in all those areas so it is actually i missed one it's wisdom in knowledge so if somebody's distracting you from doing your schoolwork, is that loving so uh, relationshiply if you need to lie to your parents to stay with this guy or girl or whatever is that loving if he endanger your body by getting an std or a pregnancy is that loving? All right. And then your values. If he makes you feel guilty or shamed for what you did or she did or whatever, whichever way around. Okay. Is that loving? In today's time, my message, we got BJ Mackey. Meet Melvin and Larry my freshman year. Melvin even tell you. And he might have already told you before. We 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 talk, but he, you know what I'm saying? He, I mean, it's like uh BJ, uh, we always go at it. It wasn't never nothing like us, you know, something like that. We uh we didn't really talk that much my freshman year. Right. You know, we talk occasionally and you know, out on the floor, because Mel was just at, at a this guy is trying to take my spot. You know, but and what you should be trying to do. And 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 you know. Larry wanted to shoot. I wanted to shoot. 
all of us had our different egos. That's what people always don't understand yes, how hard it is to, yes, sir. That's to, to, to manage and, and coach yeah. talented yeah. players. Yeah. yeah, you know, and and you could kind of see it in our play sometimes. Sure, for you sure. know, for sure. Now let's get back to the interview. In our collaboration with the NCAA, we put out a couple of different um, episodes to keep you informed. In most situations we fail just because we don't have the knowledge or the understanding of what we're trying to do. Um, in our two episodes, we explain the do's and don'ts of prospective collegiate athletes. Um, just, just an extra nugget of information can change your decision, can change your life for the better. Um, if you don't have those nuggets, if you don't know what to do, you can be a high, high-skilled, high-educated athlete, but just don't know how, what, when to do it, when to apply, that could be detrimental to your future. So uh, gathering information and listening to podcasts like this about uh, what you got to do as a freshman is very, very important when starting your collegiate career. Talking about you know, amateurism in, in sports, you know, um, that's a tough issue, especially when coming from different sports. Can you can you shed light on that? What that means and yeah. how it differs between sports? Yeah. So amateurism, um, you know, when you get certified by the NCAA, you have the academic certification. That's kind of what we just went over. Um, but then you have the amateurism component as well. And amateurism, all you know, all is making sure is that a student athlete hasn't professionalized themselves. Um, and isn't accepting money to play sports. So um, it's a series of questions that will be asked when the student registers. You know, they want to know what teams you've been on. Have you signed any professional contracts? That kind of stuff. And I can go ahead and tell you that 94% of students that come through our certification process don't have any issue with amateur. You know, it's a very small percentage. Um, and a lot of those too are international, you know, they're under a different system over there, right. you know, uh, you know, with basketball, it can be kind of murky, what's professional, what's not, you right. know, with, with, with some of the other sports as well. Um, just making sure that they're not accepting any money above actual necessary expenses for their uh, participation in sports. So if you have an AAU team and, you know, they are traveling to Seattle from, from South Carolina, you know, and there's travel, there's, there's, you know, um, there's ho hotel, there's food, all of that stuff associated right. with that. That's actual and necessary expenses. Gotcha. Anything on top of that would be something that, that would, uh, that could potentially cause an amateurism issue. Um, something to, something for students to be aware of as they're moving through. So, <clears throat> I'm a young Barrington Huntley in Georgia, mm -hmm. listening to this right now, right? I'm an eighth grader or ninth grader. Um, what should I do right now? Right now, um, focus on your academics for sure. Academic, academic success is gonna lead to opportunities for you. I can tell you firsthand, just um, from my time working in compliance offices, talking to coaches about 
students and how they were recruiting them. If they had a student who was, if they had two students, they're both the same talent. Right. One has their academics in order and one is kind of shaky. They're always going to go towards the one that, that has the academics in order. I think it says something about the person themselves, you know, and, you know, just, just handling that academic, being able to handle that says something about your dedication, says something about, um, you know, what's in between the ears. That's something that I would, that's advice that I would give them. Make sure that the academics are good and then really take ownership of your craft. You know, if you say you're a basketball player, then you need to be in the gym, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, if you say you're a football player, then you need to be out in the field. You know, these, these are, you know, you you kind of have to go in with, with both things in hand, just making sure that the academics are good. But then if this is something that you actually want to do, um, getting in contact with people that maybe have done it, listening to podcasts like this, this will, that will be helpful for those students. Um, so really taking care of the academics first, man, and then just focusing, focusing on honing your craft um, so, so that you can be a step ahead. And, and, and good point. And I'm gonna um, just mention something that I heard the other day about going to the bank, right? You can't go to the bank and take no money out if you didn't put the money in. So as an athlete, you got to make deposits. Every day you make deposits, work ethic deposits. So in your senior year, you can cash out, right? Absolutely. That's what it's all about. In our conversation with Derek Coles, um, having great knowledge with representation gives you a different edge to the game, right? When you leave college athletics, there's another level that you have to consider, and that's the sports sports agency level. Um, having a well put together portfolio, yeah, that that will increase your chance of being noticed. Um, but having a well credited firm representing you is just as important as and, and effective. Um, when you're trying to get their that that job overseas and you can't be over there. Um, you don't have no, no, no communication, um, no relationships. Um, you need an agency um, to kind of bridge that communication, bridge that gap in, um, in your contract, travel. All those things are very important. So having a well-credited agency um, to represent you is very, very important. In addition to that, I want you to, to talk to that 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 age that person that's want to become in that position. What are some things they got to do? What are the things they got to look towards, um, and, and just help fulfilling that that dream? So I'll, I'll give you the floor. Help me frame that. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, my my exact title at the national office is I'm assistant director for development in the enforcement um, department, and with that, my role uh, at three different uh, components. I work with football development, basketball development as well as the agent certification process. And so um, try to break down each three. So the, the first thing is the agent uh, certification. So uh, in that role, I basically have opportunity to certify MBA agents to help student athletes in, in college test the waters. Test the waters basically is saying, hey, I want to put my name out there to get evaluation uh, from the MBA, um, but also want to get opportunity to um, declare for the draft. 
and declare by the draft. I can go to the combine, get workouts, and get evaluation. And after the evaluation, uh, if I want to, I can come back to school uh, and, and still not lose my eligibility. And so to do that, um, you have to sign with one of our NCAA certified agents who go through uh, a process and a system to be certified to help these kids navigate this test of waters process. And so this is year two of that program. And I've seen a lot of success. You know, this, and I tell kids in that space, I encourage kids to go through it because you're going through it just like the rest of the guys are. Like, you know, the kids, like I think we had like 20, we had like 60, 65, 70 kids, right? That, you know, most likely may come back to school. But they're not jailing subs. We know jailing subs are staying in it. But you can go through the same system and process as him, but they come back to school mm. and get the information that you need to say, okay, I talked to 18 school teams. This is what I need to work on. So mm. I come back to college mm. and become better. And now I, I maximize my stock and increase my draft stock for next year. Because this year I got a grade of going late second round. Mm. I worked on, I'm going to work on what I need to the summertime, get ready to game. And next year, I'd possibly be a first round pick. The, the, the prime example is uh, Jared, um, Jared Butler. He mm-hmm. tested the waters last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, he became national player of the year, won a national championship. And I think he's definitely a first round pick this year sure. versus last year. Most likely he was a second round guy. Um, so that's the, the agent space, right? And then uh, with football development and basketball development, and football development, I work with two different conferences. I work with the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, and um, the ACC. And so from that standpoint, I'm more of a, um, this is an open ears. I'm, I'm out there talking to the coaches in the football space about any type of concerns or issues they're having that they're seeing within recruiting, uh, what they're seeing within the sport itself. And I bring that information back to the national office. So there it goes, guys. Another one in the books. We keep dropping major hits. We are grateful to have guests come on and offer their time and knowledge to what we're trying to do. Um, and educating student athletes. Most of these interviews in this last uh, episode um, was very short stints of information. To check out the full interview, please go to our website at jamelpresident.com or you can check it out on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. Coming up next in our last episode for this season is titled Me Versus Me. Um, where I'll be interviewing myself, talking about different topics and things that I've, I think they need to be addressed, um, things that we'll be talking about in the upcoming season uh, two of Triple Threat. So um, just want to touch base on things, what to expect coming up in our upcoming season. Um, it's, been a, it's been a wonderful joy to, to talk to tons of people um, and getting their feedback on what athletes need to do, what they shouldn't do, um, things of that sort. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful time, and I really enjoy it. And I thank you guys for tuning in and following us and listening to us as well. All right. Our next episode coming up, Me Versus Me. We'll be right back. What Jermel is doing with Today Foundation and the approach he's taking to help develop young athletes, first of all, getting them prepared from the academic standpoint, which, as you know as well as I do, Bobby, that's the most important element to try to get them to eat healthy, to be able to train properly, to get the proper education, and then hopefully for those who are talented enough to have a chance to move on 
to perhaps even get a free education by going off to college. But I love what Jermel is doing. It's a wonderful program. Hopefully more people in the community will get behind it and some of the businesses involved as well to help sponsor this program because these are the kind of things that every community needs. Looking out for the best interest of the youth. The future of this country is in our youth. And everything that we can do to help prepare them better for that is absolutely wonderful. And, and I can't express adequately enough my admiration and respect for what Jermel is doing. And hopefully he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Thank you.